Welcome to Shred the Should podcast, where we celebrate incredible humans redefining self-success and the word should. I'm your host, Alex Katz, and today we are joined by a super special guest. And as I always do, I'm going to have a special guest introduce themselves, and we're going to see how they do it. And then we're going to talk about why I do that, because if you're not familiar with this, there's a reason why I do that. So Ooh, thank fun. you for joining me. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? <laughs> oh my God, no pressure. <laughs> There's so many podcasts I've been on where it's like, give me a bio and I'm going to read your name and I'm going to read your background. I'm going to read all this stuff. And I like to have guests introduce themselves and I'll tell you why after you do it. My name is Katie. I am a holistic health coach and registered nurse. And I work with clients to help them regain trust with their bodies and ditch the diet and live happy. I love that. Okay. And now who are you outside of what you do? Oh, love that. I am a dog mom. She's my everything. Um, I am an avid outdoors person, though I confess last few years haven't been as much so, but I love, you know, being in the woods, being on the river. Um, and I love to laugh. I love anything like comedy specials, especially right now in the pandemic, like funny TV shows, anything, anything to keep me laughing, I'm down for. And I recently in the pandemic, I've always been kind of a grandma, but I like upped it to the next level. I picked up a hobby. I started doing cross stitching. Don't know if you're familiar with what that is. It's like needle point. Um, so those are little odds and ends about who I am. I love that. Yeah. And the, the reason I ask that question, it's always interesting to me to see what people lead with. Um, cause I think when we come on podcasts, we're like in professional mindset and we're like, I am a coach and I am these things. And yeah. I talk a lot about mental health and identity. So I always like to just see how people define who they are, what they do, what they care a lot about and what they lead with. So awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's the dog always, always. It's always the dog. the dog. Same. <laughs> I agree. You have to leave with the dog. So you do a lot of things. And one of the things that you do is focus on helping people heal their relationships with food and their bodies, right? Through intuitive eating. Yes, absolutely. And I work with clients one-on-one. Um, and I have also now run, I'm in the third uh, third round of my intuitive eating group, which is specifically for tailored to women. Um, so loving that I've had great success with that. Um, it's been very gratifying to help women, uh, reconnect with their bodies and learn intuitive eating and sprinkle some women's health in there too, which I'm very passionate about. Um, yeah, so I would definitely say, I think we're very similar in the sense that intuitive eating is just where it's at. So I do that in the group setting and, um, I do work with people one-on-one as well, but it's always kind of through that intuitive eating, non-diet, health at every size lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for anyone listening to this, we just did an awesome Instagram live, very short version where we were myth busting some myths around intuitive eating and what it is. And in that conversation, I think we both talked a little bit about how our mindsets around food have evolved over time. And you know, for me personally, I haven't always been anti-diet or, um, you know, an intuitive eating coach, right? I've really, really shifted. And I was telling you, there was a time where I was tracking macros, right? There was a time where I stopped doing that. And I thought that I was quote unquote good now, right? Because I was, I was not tracking anymore, but I was really obsessed with food quality and we'll go more into this, right? But 
I feel like anyone who ends up doing this work has their own deep history with food and it takes a lot of bravery, whether you're coaching or even just being coached, it takes a lot of bravery to separate from diet culture because it is so mainstream and it takes a lot of bravery to say, you know, the things that I've always been doing may not have been the best for me, even if everything in society is telling you that that's how things quote unquote should be, right? Even if everything in society is telling you that this is how it is. And if you can't stick to it or you don't want to stick to it, something's wrong with you. This is your fault, right? So it's a journey. Obviously, that's not true, right? It's not your fault. There's not anything wrong with you if you want to break out of that mainstream narrative. But I'm curious for you, I'd love for people to know even more about you before we start talking about what intuitive eating really is. What got you started on this path of you know, I know you're a, you're a nurse, right? You're, you've been in the health space. So what got you started in this path of saying, you know what? No, I, there's a different way. I'm going to go anti-diet. I'm going to go intuitive eating. Totally. Um, so I love how you said that we all have a story and surely everyone who works in this space is because we found this space because we were doing things a different way and we realized it didn't work. And we, for whatever our history was, healed or started to heal that relationship Improved. and that's why <laughs> exactly where it's all a journey nobody's ever fully arrived and that's totally great but so for me um my journey uh started I would say I was in high school when I really first stopped trusting my body I think that's a pretty common narrative especially for women in this culture um you know my body started changing and I was looking more like a woman and less like a girl and I didn't like that. And I was trying to figure out how I could keep my body staying the same and kind of fitting into that narrow idea of like what is healthy and thin and small and all of that. Um, and so to make a long story short, I begged my mom to take me to a nutritionist who taught me how to calorie count and taught me, you know, all these things that really stuck with me because I was a very impressionable 14 year old thought I was going to like a a trusted authority, um, you know, top that, that typical, like eat 1500 calories, work out for 300 net 1200. This is how many calories it takes to lose a pound, et cetera, et cetera. So that was kind of the beginning of the downfall for me. Um, just in terms of really being focused on numbers and how much I was eating and also how much I was exercising, trying to quantify that. And that stayed pretty consistent. And I would say at some point, like in my late teens, early 20s, that kind of college time got worse. Um, I know on our Instagram live, you brought up um, a great point, which is that like, when your relationship with food is interfering with your relationship with um, other, any other facet of your life, but I feel like relationships with other people particularly hit home. And for me, I'll never forget. There was a morning when my group of friends in college wanted to like take a day trip somewhere. And I was so, it was like, I couldn't not work out because I was so obsessed with it. And I had this fear that like, if I didn't work out, run on the treadmill, whatever, I was going to gain weight. And so I like, made my friends wait for me like I they adjusted the timetable so that I could go to the gym and I didn't feel good about it but at that point in my life it was like a compulsion that I couldn't 
get away from. And I will always look back on that and feel sad about it because it was like, that was two hours that I could have been with my best friends who I now don't get to see very much. But I feel like what we talked about on the live, it reminded me of that story. Um, so I've had my own past with restricting food, trying like every diet that's out there. Um, I would consider myself on more of like an orthorexia path. So for those who are listening who don't know, orthorexia is an obsession with eating all things clean. And then in some cases, using exercise as a means to purge. And that was definitely me. I was definitely the person who I knew exactly how many calories was in what I was eating. And if I had, you know, indulged in something the next day, you bet I was in the gym, making sure I was burning enough calories. Um, Fast forward to being a working professional, I was still in that mindset, um, working a very stressful job. And I was completely stressed, um, inflamed, I was restricting food and over exercising. And eventually, I just I had a breakdown, really. Um, I was going to leave my nursing job at the time because my now husband was leaving for grad school. So it was kind of the perfect time where I needed a break and a reset. And um, we moved away for two years. And while I was there, I decided to do a health coaching certification. It was something I've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, and while I was in that program, some of the content I was exposed to was more along the lines of food psychology and why people eat. Um, and a little taster of how, you know, when our relationship with food is unhealed, you know, we can't really have a healthy relationship with ourselves and also with food. So long story short, I, um, I found intuitive eating and I, you know, taught it to myself. I mean, I had support in other ways, but um, like I had a, a friend that I went to nursing school with, she and I had very similar mindsets around food and exercise. And we, I think we kind of coached each other on that. Um, I didn't have a program like the ones that you and I offer <laughs> to go to, but um, I found intuitive eating. I read the book, I had a support system and that was it. I was like, Oh my gosh, like this is what, this is what I've been looking for. Like, this is why I could look back on all those years and be like, well, so much of what I was doing was quote unquote healthy, but why didn't I feel healthy? And why wasn't I happy? And why was I in emotional pain and physical pain? And when I found intuitive eating and I just, I realized I was like, this is it. Everyone needs to know about this. because So many of us are struggling. Um, and then I, went on to make this program and, and work with folks. And, and that's how I got into the space. Wow. I love that. And for anybody listening, we are going to very soon talk more about what intuitive eating actually is and what it is and how it can help you. But just want to say, as I was listening to that, I was remembering pieces of my own history with food and with exercise that I think I had just completely blocked out. Like you're talking about the beach and I was like, Oh my God, I had this exact experience. And I didn't even remember it. And yeah, I think orthorexia is my theme of the week because it's National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And I'm pretty open about it for anybody who doesn't know. Like I've struggled with a lot of different things. Um, I guess technically I would say bulimia, but I never called it that at the time. I guess technically I would say binge eating, but I never called it that at the time. And then I guess technically orthorexia, and I never called it that at the time. And I think one of the things that diet culture does is this obsession with how your body looks with what you're eating with how quote unquote healthy things are right that's just so normalized 
that you're praised constantly, that people are looking up to you as a role model for how disciplined you are, how much willpower you have, right? I, I wish everybody watching could see my face and like how many air quotes I'm making because like, right, it's not about discipline and willpower. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it. But, you know, I, and I think that when I was experiencing all these different things, I never knew that I had an issue. And out of all of them, I want to say that orthorexia was the worst one for me because I think that it really impacted my quality of life the most. What I will say about the the bulimia situation is basically that I was using coffee um, as a way to purge, right? And I was using, um, I actually had to have surgery on my ovary because I had an ovarian cyst and torsion, ovary flipped. And after that, I couldn't use the bathroom for like a month. And they were like, here are laxatives, which is not a good move. And I want to talk about that more later. But when that happened, you know, I was like, oh my God, this is a tool. And it was, you know, I thought it was a tool to fix my relationship with food and with my body. And it wasn't right. And um, same thing with binging. I never thought that it was binging because I was always praised for how much food I could eat as a girl. Right. And then when it was orthorexia, it was, wow, she's so dedicated to the gym. Wow. She's so dedicated to eating clean, so much willpower. And so I think that I look back on it and I think about how much time, like if we were to take the amount of time that I spent stressing with food, stressing with my relationship with my body, exercising, right? Worrying about all these things. How many years of my life did that actually take for me? And so when you're talking about it and you're talking about your friends, yeah, like it really messed with my quality of life. It really messed with my relationships. And I see that so often with clients. And I think for both of us, it's a big piece of the reason why we're so passionate about the work that we do, because it's not just about the food. It's about your holistic health, your whole quality of life and helping you live the life that you want to live before, you know, other people told you how you should be living. And that's, that's what this podcast is, right? Let's shred some shoulds. I love that. Um, and I love your, the whole title of your podcast, shred the should, because I, I think that, um, at least speaking for the women that I think are drawn to my program, and I'm sure this is very similar in your program, the people that are often struggling with this kind of like really restrictive and sometimes disordered eating style, most of us really are perfectionist type A, you know, appearing from the outside to have all this willpower and be very dedicated when really we're just obsessive and have, you know, really strong inner critics and we have a lot of shoulds and so so much of the work in the beginning of intuitive eating right is like gosh how can we just like take a deep breath and like treat ourselves with kindness that's I feel like one of the biggest um places that we have to start and it's not of course an overnight process like you can't just go from you know beating yourself up for however long for me it was probably like 15 maybe not quite 15 years, but like approaching that. Um, you can't just go from that to being like, my body is so wise. My body knows. It's a learning process. And it's okay if that feels daunting. That's another thing I want people to know about intuitive eating. Like if it seems really scary, it's okay. You can still acknowledge that and also acknowledge like, I want to try something different because what I've done to this point isn't working. Yes. Yeah. And there's a quote that I really like that's, getting comfortable with your body is an uncomfortable process. And oh, I think, love that. Yeah. I, again, let's set the tone for this whole thing, right? Getting comfortable with uncomfortable things is uncomfortable. Like it's going to mm. be. And I love what you said because 
yeah, I'm working with women of all ages who will say, well, why, you know, it's the comparison in the shoulds. They'll be like, well, why my, I had two friends who went through my program, right. Two different times. One went through round two, one went through round three, for example. And one of them was like, wait, this other friend said that she's craving vegetables. Why am I not craving vegetables yet? Mm-hmm. Right. And we do this comparison and the should shame of, well, this other person had this experience. So I should be having this experience too. Something's wrong right. with me. And I think to your point, and I say this every episode, I want to really emphasize non-judgmental awareness, right? So everything is just information. You are the one judging it. You are the one deciding what you want to do with that information. And so if you have been dieting for a really long time, if you've been in this negative space with food and body for a long time, you know, the client that's like, why am I not there yet? She's in her fifties. The friend that she's talking to is in her thirties. The the client who's in her fifties has been dieting for pretty much as long as her friend has been alive. Right. And so not to say that that is the formula for everything, like the longer you've been doing it, the longer it's going to take to heal. But like, there is something to be said about if you've been dieting for over 30 years, if you've been hating your body for over 30 years, that's over 30 years of unlearning. And that might seem really scary and really daunting, but I think that's why we have programs like what we do to provide that accountability, that support, whether it's from us or from others in the group. And it's not to say that you can't do it, but what I always say is like, yeah, it's scary. Let's say you're, you know, you're 50 right now and you're scared of you know, all the work that it's going to take to relearn 30 years. Cool. That's, you know, that's how you feel. And that's, that's totally valid. But do you want to be 60 and saying that, you know, now I'm going to start and now I want to unlearn 40 years and it's not too late. Like I'm not saying 60 is too late. I'm working with people in their sixties, even their seventies who want to, you know, unlearn this for their kids, for their grandkids, for themselves, right. For anything. But not to say that, but it is this kind of idea that people wait to get started because they're scared of how much work it's going to take. But then if you know you're unhappy, you know you're in the cycle, you know you're probably going to start eventually. So why not now? Yeah, I love it. I think, um, yeah, you hit the nail on that one. Let's talk about what intuitive eating is. Intuitive eating, um, I feel like in its most simplified version, is just a non-dieting approach to eating. And then I go a step further to say that it's a way of eating that recognizes you as the expert on your body's hunger, fullness cues, how much you need to eat, what you want and what you need. Um, Because in a traditional diet framework, we're always looking to these like external cues for what to eat. And this is, you know, so complicated because there are so many diets and also lifestyle programs that are diets, but are not calling themselves diets. Cause I feel like almost the word diet is like going out of fashion. Um, but there are so many programs and ways of eating really anything that has a rule to it. Right. So like whether it's calories, points, macros, um, timeframes of eating, um, certain things you should be eating a lot of or not eating a lot of, those are all, all external to decide what you should and shouldn't be eating. And so intuitive eating is really the opposite of that. It's saying, no, no, only you know your body. Only you live in your body. Only you are feeling what your body feels. And so you know what you need. And intuitive eating is so powerful because it gives us um, a really tangible framework on how to start practicing these things. Like 
I'm sure you can relate, Alex, but like for so many of the women that I work with in my group program, one of the biggest pain points coming in is like, well, I don't even know. I don't even know how to know when I feel hungry and when I feel full because we've spent so much time living by other people's rules of what they think is right on how to eat. And so I love how in intuitive eating, it does give us some great tools to implement to say, okay, this is how you can start to feel in to what your body's asking for. And there is some trial and error there and that's okay. And that's what like coaches like you and I are there for to help support people through the process. But intuitive eating at the end of the day is like a coming back to yourself and what you need and trusting your body. And that's why I think it's so amazing and so important. I love that. And as you were talking, so when you asked me earlier on the live, how I would define it, I'm going to redefine it. I'm going to say mm-hmm. that it is the ultimate should shredding of diet culture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because as you were talking, like, you know, you kept bringing up the word should, right? The way that you should eat, how much you should be eating. There's all these rules around it. And it really is shredding the shoulds of diet culture and what you've been taught versus being able to trust your body's innate needs, being able to trust that relationship between brain and body. And I think often we're taught that we can't trust ourselves and we need to disconnect, which is the opposite of what we actually want to do. I couldn't agree more. That's really like, I don't know if I need it printed like on a shirt, like on a sandwich board, like in a tattoo form, like That is one of the things that I feel strongest about is like why diets are so harmful is that at the end of the day, they, they basically encourage us not to trust ourselves. They want us to believe that if left to our own devices, that we wouldn't know what to eat, that we would be out of control with food, that we would you know, gain weight like crazy, which intuitive eating is not about weight. And I know you and I both don't believe that like weight is an accurate indicator of health. I don't believe that. But I'm saying that those are the, you know, in our like fat phobic weight stigma heavy culture, those are the fears that diet culture is playing on is that, well, you need these rules. And this is how you again, you should be eating. And if you don't do these things, you're doing it wrong. And you know, your body is not to be trusted. So that's really, you know, that you can trust yourself. And why why do these diets want you to believe that, right? Like, so that you'll buy their stuff, like whatever it is. And um, as you and I both know, it's a very profitable industry. And learning to spot that stuff um, is really important because it's sneaky. Like, they're good at what they do. They're really good at their marketing. And they they know psychology. So they, they know how to get to us. Yeah, you want to tell them how profitable? Uh, I mean, I don't, what's the most updated number? Like right, billions, I was just say. hundreds of billions? It's changing all the time. So literally when I was doing my PowerPoint this time last year, I think I was saying a $78 billion industry, which is within the US. Mm. I think the number now is $250 billion. And I, I forget if that's worldwide or in the US. But yeah, they make buttloads of money <laughs> off of making us feel like we are a problem, like our bodies are a problem and it's Mm -hmm. everything and it's everywhere. And it's so easy for us to fall into this trap and not even recognize it because yeah, our health is important and they put everything on this disguise of, of health. Right. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say that's like one of the, the biggest misconceptions of all, right? Is that like our health is measured accurately by our weight. And so that's how diets kind of make it a morality thing. Like, oh, you're doing this for your health. When we know that like the diets don't work, they were never going to work. They're going to set you up to be on one diet, move to the next, which is still profitable for them because everybody's making money, right? And then ultimately it doesn't even serve your health. And I'm sure we're going to talk way more about that. So that's the biggest like... I mean, it just makes me rage that they convince us that we're doing this thing for our health when in actuality, repetitive dieting and weight cycling is actually damaging to our physical body, our health, our mental health. Um, so it, it just, it doesn't even work, but they convince us like it's our, like it's our problem and it's the right, we should be doing that. Oh, so mad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah hundred percent. And for anyone listening, the statistic is something like 95% of dieters regain the weight within two to five years. And so what happens is as a kid or as a teenager or as an adult, maybe your body is doing what bodies do and it's changing and that's natural, right? So, you know, you're talking about being younger and your body's going through puberty and now you're like, oh my God, what is this? I must be doing something wrong. Or maybe you're getting messages at home that you're doing something wrong because like your parents don't know what's happening, right? Maybe your development looks different than theirs. Maybe you're getting messages from other kids at school who are teasing you because they're not developed yet, like whatever the thing is, right? And we immediately go into this place of like, I must be doing something wrong. I need to regain control. I feel out of control. And so enter in, some diet, which all the diets are pretty much the same thing, just repackaged, right? We had Atkins in, in what, like the 80s, 90s, and now that's got shiny new wrapping paper and a bow on it. And it's what now? How would you, what's the equivalent? Atkins, keto I mean, like keto, yeah. I was yeah. going to say keto. It's that like high fat, high protein, low carb, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So all of it's just repackaged. There, there are diets that have happened in the past where people have been like, this doesn't work, or there's a lawsuit or, you know, whatever, mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm. situation, and it's brought back with a shiny new bow. So we're constantly trying things to regain mm -hmm. control and thinking that it'll solve the problem because we've been convinced that your body is a problem, which it's not. Um, so you're like, you know, this diet will help. Or a lot of my clients, their parents put them on Weight Watchers at like age 10. Right. right. So you're so young, you have no idea what's even happening, but somebody else is making these decisions for you. And then when you're in the 95% that the diet doesn't work for because it's not designed to work. Right. But when right. that happens, then it's like, well, what's wrong with me that I couldn't even do this? Or maybe somebody else is telling you that maybe your parents are telling you that like it was all laid out for you. Weight Watchers gave right. you all the points. They told you exactly what to do and you still couldn't do this. Right. So if when we talk about should shame, you're in this cycle of like, I'm doing something wrong. Something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So the diet doesn't work. And it's like, okay, well, Weight Watchers didn't work, but like Noom promises they'll be different. Right. I, I, uh, like, I was hoping you were going to break up Noom. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. We'll do it. We'll do a whole Noom thing. Um, right. But it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the shitty ex that keeps promising you that they're going to be better next time. Like that's, that's what this is. And it's like, okay, well, Weight Watchers didn't work. Noom might work. Let me try Noom. Noom doesn't work. Uh oh. Let me try keto. Keto didn't work. What's wrong with me? I'm trying all these things. It must be me. I'm the common denominator. And it makes you feel so, so bad. And because most people don't realize it's not designed to work, it's designed to keep you coming back. It's designed to keep you spending more money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, I, I don't know if you can relate, but 
so many of the women I work with, like that whole mindset as well of like cycling through these different things and getting ready to be at the next one. Like that comes up a lot when we do intuitive eating, because I think for many of us people, it's um, just because of the habit of like going from one thing to the next, to the next, it's like, Oh, this is like the next thing. And we also get a little bit impatient with it because it's like, well, like I'm used to like being on this thing for X amount of time. And then it's like either like, it worked or, well, we always know it doesn't work, but I feel like it's important too, to notice when that comes up in intuitive eating, because it's like, we're so used to being on this hamster wheel of like, it doesn't work onto the next thing. And um, yeah, it's just interesting because we've been doing it for so long. Yeah. And then it's like, how are you defining works? Right. So like, if your yeah. goal is, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm making something up. I'm going to drop 30 pounds in 30 days. Please don't do that. But like, if you know, that's your goal, um, right. <laughs> yeah. And you, you drop it. So you consider that to be a win. You consider that to be a success. It worked because your goal was to do that. But how did it work? What did you do to get there? Is that sustainable? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Did right. you negatively right. impact your health in the process? Probably. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if your definition of works is just, my body looks different, number on the scale is different, whatever, then, you know, if it's only designed to work for a short period of time, like get you there in 30 right. days, it's like, well, then what? Now what? What do and I then do? What? So totally. Did it really totally. work? And to your point, like with the with the rebounding, which we know is a thing. And again, it's not about the weight, but the point is that it just, it doesn't even work because the weight comes back on. It just does. And so... Yeah. And I feel like too, just like the damaging backlash effects of the dieting, like it, it came into my mind when you were talking about Weight Watchers. I have a client that I'm working with now who done Weight Watchers for a long time and she um, could not get past fear around olive oil because in Weight Watchers, it's a point system, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, fortunately, I've done a lot of things, but I have not done Weight Watchers, so I don't really know. And I don't know the rebranded, like, WW. I just don't know the ins and outs. I mean, I know its points, and I know um, generally how it works, but I don't know how they decide. I mean, I think it's ultimately just calorie density. So, like, olive oil is, like, and a small piece of avocado is, like, significantly more points than even, like, you know, a highly processed, like, diet bar, because that has, again, air quotes, if you could see us, less calories. And the olive oil is more calorie dense. But, and when I was doing some gentle nutrition with her, I was trying to teach her, you know, there are some um, vitamins that are fat soluble. And so it's a good thing to be adding in some healthy fats into when you're cooking vegetables, sauteing vegetables, having fat in a salad, whatever, because it's actually going to help you absorb those nutrients. And she was having a really hard time because in her mind, a tablespoon of olive oil was like taking away her points for the day. And so she had a really hard time, you know, getting past that mental barrier. And eventually we were able to get past it. But it's like, these are things that like, it just doesn't, it just doesn't even make sense. Like there's no truth in it. Like the truth is that you need balanced nutrient profile. And why are you demonizing like a healthy source of fat? Like it's all, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't doesn't hold up. Well, then it goes back to where our priorities. So I know we wanted to talk about this idea of you can't see health. And I I legit, I want like a beanie that says this. I want a mug. I want (laughs) like, uh, you know, a helicopter in the sky. I think you need a forehead tattoo. That's where I'm coming from. You need a forehead tattoo. All right, y'all. We are now taking donations (laughs) for a you can't see health forehead tattoo. 
Um, but you know, I really, I'm like, I'm screaming this from rooftops and just to give people perspective on this, right? So if, if our definition of health is how your body looks, right? Society, diet culture is teaching us that smaller equals better, smaller equals healthier. When really, if you look at these studies, there's, that's not actually a correlation that being in a bigger body means that you're unhealthy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being in a smaller body and weight cycling. And I want to talk about like the, the um, implications of weight cycling, but being in a smaller body, what can you tell from that besides the fact that they live in a smaller body, right? So if I ask you right now, like you can see me, people listening can't, but if you, you see me, can you tell if I have an autoimmune condition? Right. Yes or no? no. Do I have one? No, I don't right? know. You don't know. Can you tell if I have a thyroid issue? How's my hormone health? I don't know. How's my mental health? You seem bright today, but I don't know. How are my relationships? <laughs> I don't know anything about your relationships, but I like mine with yours. With yes. <laughs> yeah. Ours is good. We don't know anything about anything else. Ours is good. Great. Yeah. Um, how's my gut health? I don't know. We don't know. Right. And that's the point. You right. can't tell just by looking at somebody. I exist in a smaller body. You cannot tell by looking at me what that says about my health. I'm probably missing some things. What would you add on to that? No, I think you gave a pretty good, you know, like holistic snapshot. And I mean, I think I love that you, you know, you highlighted some important like physical things that you can Mm -hmm. tell. Like, I mean, I would take it even further just into the like all the other areas of life. Like you brought up relationships, but like, um, did you say mental health? I'm sure you did. Yeah. Mental health and like joy, like you have like hobbies and creativity, like things like that. Um, do you love your space? Do you love where you live? Like those kinds of things, those all impact our health. Like, are you getting fresh air? Are you getting some vitamin D? All those things. Um, just can't, can't tell that by looking at someone. Yeah. And your relationships, not just like romantic, but in general, quality of relationships is really correlated with quality of overall health and mortality and all of that stuff. Um, you know, I want to give people like a really personal example because I've been I've been a little more open about my health stuff recently because it's still kind of new for me um, on Instagram. But just to kind of give you like a history on this, I had a I used to have a six pack and I used to get praised on the six pack all the time, right? And people assumed I was so healthy and I was so strong. When I had a six pack, I actually broke my back twice, right? And I had all these stress fractures and all this stuff, but people assumed that I was healthy because of the six pack. My relationship with food was not good. I felt like I had no friends. I was depressed all the time. I was in the gym all the time. I had no life outside of the gym, right? So my overall health was not good. Fast forward, like I also had all these gut issues at the time. Fast forward, dealing with gut issues for years, depression, anxiety, everything for years, kept getting praised on my body, right? And people would look at me and I'm like, but I don't feel healthy. I doesn't feel, I feel like I'm inflamed. I felt like I was in the gym three hours a day. Fast forward to actually during quarantine where my heart started shutting down. And I, my relationship with food has been good for years. Like I've been, you know, out of all this other stuff that we talked about for a long time. My heart started shutting down because of a folic acid deficiency. Folic acid, which is something very essential that's found in like you know, things like fortified breads and cereals and things that I don't eat because I have celiac, but like that a lot of people don't eat because they demonize them and assume that they're bad, right? It's also something that you can get from like vegetables, but I wasn't absorbing it. 
because of all those years of my gut being messed up from how I was treating my body or treating food before, right? You look at me, nobody, nobody knew. Like it was so bad. I could barely like dress myself a lot of days. Um, and this was, this was literally two years ago. This was like during the pandemic. It hasn't been that long. Right. So like heart is shutting down. I'm not getting like oxygen to my muscles. All this stuff is happening. Um, I started developing all these weird neurological symptoms. Like it was so weird. Um, and then I have like, it was a whole thing. But so anyway, I saw people for the first time after not seeing them for like a year because COVID and everybody's praising me on my body and how I've lost weight. And I look so healthy and I need to teach them what I'm doing. And, you know, this, because this is so recent for me, I haven't talked about it as much, but like, it was hard. I went from being like a ninja warrior athlete, powerlifter, pushing a 900 sled to like barely able to lift my cup of tea up. And yeah, I looked smaller because I'd lost all the muscle that I had from being this competitive athlete. I looked smaller because I was extremely sick for like a year. Right. Um, and anyway, so all this stuff was going on and people just kept telling me how good and healthy, literally using the word healthy. And I say this because I think it's important to really recognize, like, you really don't know. You never know what somebody did to achieve the, um, the body that they have or not even did, but what they went through. Like here I was being like, yeah, I actually feel really good. I feel really healthy. Like I'm, you know, my relationship with food is good. I'm an athlete. I'm doing all these things. And then my body was like, <laughs> screw you. Like, no. And, you know, and, and so for me, every time somebody told me I looked healthy, I even was praised at the doctor's office that I lost scale weight since last time I was there. And I literally snapped at her and was like, listen, this, I, this, all my muscle that I worked really hard for. And I thought I was going to die. Like, this is not what we're focusing on right now. So that just shows how like almost brainwashed we are, how conditioned we are and how embedded it is and how you never really know. So that's why it's so damaging when you make comments about health, um, being related to body size, one of the reasons, right. And on the flip mm -hmm. side, being in a bigger body, makes people, you know, the way that we talk about it, it makes people less likely to seek medical care because oftentimes conditions are just swept under the rug and they're just told, well, if you just lost weight, you know, like I, I saw a thing about somebody coming in, they were depressed, their grandfather had just passed away and they were like, the doctor was like, well, if you just lost weight, like then, you know, maybe you'd feel better. And it's like, well, hold on, that's not the problem, right? And so this is how weight stigma shows up in our society. And it's, it's really, really damaging. So anyway, went on this whole tangent, because I really just want to make people think, and I have no problems telling that story if people comment on my health, because I, and at first I did, because I'm like, oh my God, what if I made her feel bad? Like I said this to somebody, I'm like, I think I made her feel bad. And then I was like, you know what, though, I want people to get it, because I want people to really, sometimes you need to hear a story like that to second guess your relationship with these things. Totally. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love, I love that you shared that story. And um, that's something that I talk to my clients about all the time. And, and more just, I think like the people that I work with are at a place where like, they're being very conscious of how they talk about weight to others, but it's also more like how to see it and how to deal with it when maybe it's done to you. And to do that, we have to first question our idea, right? Of like, how, how do we believe, you know, our health is impacted by our weight? And we have to do a lot of myth busting there. And how, just to underline, you know, what you said in the story that you shared, like commenting on someone's appearance at all, whether it's losing weight, gaining weight, it just goes to show you how out of touch we are because you, just like you said, you don't know 
what happened to that person. If they're sick, you don't know if that person is binging and purging. Like you don't know what kind of behavior you're praising. And when you do that, it reinforces the behavior. Um, and of course, if you're sick, you know, that pertains a little bit less, but especially when we're younger and more impressionable, like, I mean, that happened to me when I was younger, like I had weight loss praise. And that was at a time when I was really in the thick of my orthorexia journey. And so the message that I got from that is that, oh, okay, so they're noticing I'm smaller and smaller is better. So I should continue to be doing what I'm doing because people are noticing, people are paying attention. And that also gives people the impression that their body is always being evaluated and that how their body looks matters to you. So best policy is say nothing. Like if you want to give someone a compliment, you look so happy. You know, I, I love, you know, you mean so much to me. You're such a good, there's so many other things you can say to someone to compliment them. And I, I think that like, we're, we're getting better at this, at least in our space, but I think weight is also kind of like the low hanging fruit. Like, it's like, Oh my God, you look great. You look great. Like, let's, let's check ourselves before we do that. You look so happy. I'm so happy to see you. You know, there's, there's just, there's lots of other things we can say that don't make people feel like we're looking at the size and shape of their body and that that matters to us. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that's really important. And yeah, the, you know, the whole thing about sharing that story is, is literally just to challenge you on, yeah, can you see health, right? You can't tell mm. looking at either of us what, what things are really like. And like you said, it is the low hanging fruit because that is the thing that you can see from the outside. And I think maybe part of that is our fear of knowing people on a deeper level, having deeper conversations, right? Whatever, whatever the thing is. I mean, even I was at a conference recently and I, I was like, oh my God, what do I say to these people that I just met? So I go over and I make some comment about her, like owl necklace, you know, like physical aesthetic things. I won't talk about bodies. I won't talk about weight. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I love owls. I love your owl necklace, right? We're always looking for that easy thing to comment on. And I think the other reason we do it is because it's a reflection of our own insecurities when it comes to our bodies, right? So we see somebody and their body's changed and we make a comment on it because maybe, you know, how I've seen it happen a lot where people are like insecure about their own bodies, Some somebody else's body changes and it's like, oh my gosh, you look great. And internally they're like, shit, why don't I look like that? You know what I mean? And I think that healing your relationship with food and your body, like I said earlier, it helps everyone everyone. I totally agree. Um, it's like, it's like the whole notion that like self-care isn't selfish, right? Like every time we make the effort to like heal our relationship with food, um, like it's like a little ripple effect, like, because we're making ourselves happier and more whole, our friends are going to see that we're happier and just like more at ease with food and our bodies. Like our friends will see that our family will see that, you know, if, um, you know, one day you decide to have kids, like your kids will see that it just, it's, we're setting, setting the future up to look a lot brighter in terms of like body neutrality and like what you look like doesn't matter. It's most important that you listen to your body and, you know, learn what your body needs because that will serve you the rest of your life. You know, like that's the other, the other thing that I think diet culture underlines that we're moving away from and trying to miss us is that our bodies are never allowed to change. Like that's just, that's just an impossible feat. 
I mean, how can we not change? We're humans. Like whether it's, you know, just a simple, not that aging is a simple process, but like the most natural process of aging or bearing children or what happens if you're in a phase in your life when you're, I'm not a runner, but like if you're training for a marathon versus when you're not, or if you're living through a global pandemic, that's very stressful or you're not like, how, how do we not give ourselves permission to change? Like we're allowed to grow and change our personalities and our skills, but why why is there this narrative in our culture that like our bodies are not allowed to change and we're not allowed to age and we have to like look the same and fit in the same jeans that we wore in high school. And that like, if we don't do that, then we're not healthy. Like, can we just pause for a second and question how ridiculous that is? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And who's profiting off of making you feel that way. Yes. Right. It's all, it's when I, when I do guest coaching presentations, I have this, uh, this image of, I think it's like Dr. Evil, but I'm like, this is his name's, his name's not Dr. Evil anymore. And I want you to picture him up in a tower and he's like twiddling his fingers together and thinking like, Hmm, how can we make a ton of money off of making people feel bad about themselves today? Right? Like think about that. You're letting somebody, a lot of somebody's profit $250 billion off of making you feel like shit. That's just, that's right. So not only are they making you feel bad, not only are they objectifying you, not only are they teaching you to objectify yourself, but they're making stupid amounts of money off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So back and back to, um, I guess I was thinking, yeah. uh, Noom popped into my head because yes, I tell me asked about that. someone recently, someone who was open with me about like, yeah, I tried, you know, I tried Noom and I was like, I'm just curious. Can you tell me? Because like on principle, I have not because I've been in this space enough to know that Noom was not, I was not going to sign up for Noom because I understood what it was, but I was just curious, like, um, what the buy-in is. And, um, I think one of the options, I don't know if there are more than one, but is it's like a $60 annual membership. So it's like, and while that might seem on the smaller side to one person, if it's like for a year, like, if you get the volume, like, there's such a a low buy-in that people will do it and forget. But um, I was thinking about Noom and how it infuriates me on so many levels. Um, And one of the reasons why it makes me so mad is because I think like you and I talked about a little bit on the live, it's a perfect example of taking small principles of intuitive and mindful eating and making it look like it's different. But what I have learned, because I have worked with clients that have either done it or know people that have done it, like what it looks like, at the end of the day, it's still a calorie tracker and you still have daily weigh-ins. So to me, it's like the emphasis still is not on connecting with yourself and your body. It's like you still have like weight is the underlying goal and the thing that is most important. But I feel like it is a good example of like when you learn to become more discerning about diet culture you'll be able to spot these things where it's like if at the end of the day it's still about weight and about how you look it's a diet and noom is is one of those examples do you know much about noom yeah so i'm not going to pretend like i'm a noom expert but i will say that a lot of my clients have gone through it and still ended up with me at the end of the day kind of similar to you and yeah I will say that most of them have told me that it did not help their relationship with food. If anything, it might've made it worse. And I think it depends on where you're coming from because I've heard some people who spent years on Weight Watchers be like, oh, but it's so much better than Weight Watchers. So yeah, like, yeah, you know, so if you're comparing it to that, but 
one of the things that really bothers me about it is that they claim that it's psychology based when like, I'm not a hundred percent sure on your program, but I'm assuming it's similar. Like the work that I do is based in psych, it is based in cognitive behavioral therapy. It is based in helping you actually change your relationship with food. And so when I have clients who come to me and say like, I did Noom and it made it worse and here's what happened. And then they spend even like three weeks with me and they're like, oh my gosh, I understand these things now. I'm like, yes, because Noom was never actually about your relationship with your body. It was never actually about understanding why you're doing what you're doing. Like in theory, there's education about it, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, But I don't know what that, I know they do like colors and stuff like that. But when we say education, for example, one of my clients who had done Noom, you know, we're, we're looking at, we're, we're going deep. We're looking at like, okay, well, what did your parents teach you about food growing up? Oh, okay. All these things were off limits. So now as an adult, the literally the only things this person wants to eat are like pizza, mozzarella sticks, ice cream, and like cake or cookies, all the things that their parents said you couldn't have as a kid. Right. And that's like some deep work. And they were like, any, anything I've done before, like let's say Noom, or even they worked with, um, with a nutritionist before, not to like, not to bash nutritionists, right. Everything's fit. Everything is like, do you have someone who has the skills that you need for what you're right. But like they said, you know, it was like, oh, well, let me teach you about nutrition. Let me teach you about how these foods work. Let me tell you what to eat. And it's not as simple as like a lot of people think their issue is I don't know what to eat. I don't know how much to eat. I don't know what foods are quote unquote good or bad. Right. And if someone just taught me or someone taught me how to have more discipline, um, then I could do this, but it's not about any of that. So when we got to the root of it and we were like, okay, so your brain, even though you've been letting yourself eat these things for years, you've been binging on these things for years because your brain still sees it as a treat or as like something a forbidden, yeah, forbidden yeah. thing, right? And so like, let's go there and let's dive into that and let's make a really small change. Like, okay, you only like four vegetables. Awesome. Let's pick one and add it in this week. Like, let's just, I'm not going to say don't eat the mozzarella sticks. I'm not going to say don't eat all your pizza. Don't like we're not doing that. We're just adding in one vegetable and see how that fits. And okay, cool. Now we're going to make another change. And I think that's a big difference is sounds like Noom is kind of like, all right, we're going to give you this, the structure you need and you just have to follow it. But it's not about whether or not you follow the structure. It's about you as a whole person and your lived experiences and your deep beliefs that really make the difference. Oh, yes. All the things. And yes, in addition to flagging how Noom markets itself as like, it's just about your psychology. And it's like, okay, you can't just teach someone mindful eating and then encourage them not to eat mindfully. So it just doesn't, yeah. doesn't work. And, and I love um, just like to go a step further um, you mentioning about how, you know, if someone is feeling like they have, you know, foods that are forbidden and they have, you know, issues that go way back as all, almost all of us do, right? Just teaching someone nutrition doesn't work. And you and I know that because at the end of the day, it goes back to if your feelings about food and your relationship with food is unhealed, you will never be able to incorporate nutrition in a way that is like balanced and doesn't feel restrictive because it's just going to move in to feel like the next food rule, which is why, again, you and I both know being very familiar with the intuitive eating framework, like we have to do essentially the food therapy first 
and heal that and work on that and relax around food before we can add in the nutrition or doing it in a way like you described mm-hmm. that is so manageable because we know this, right? Like overhauling doesn't work. Being self-critical doesn't work. Um, placing ourselves on really strict rules and in a strict mentality. It just, we don't respond to that as human beings. We need compassion and understanding. And part of that is knowing why we have feelings around food um, when they come up. And so that's really where intuitive eating comes in. Yeah. And I'll say too, like this client had done calorie counting, they did noon, they did all these different things. And it going back to what we said before, it quote unquote worked because they lost 40 Mm. pounds while they were doing it. And then they weight cycled. And then now they are at the heaviest they've ever been. And it's, you Mm -hmm. know, every single time, again, it's not about your body, but like, it shows, right, that every single time they've done this, it's like, well, I lost 40 pounds, and I gained 60. And I lost 30 pounds, and then I gained 50, right. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, and I want to ask you in a sec to talk about weight cycling, but it really just shows this, this mentality of like, I keep trying all these things, and they're not working. And now now I've gained more weight than ever. So it must be my fault, right? That I can't be trusted. I have to go back on one of these things because the second I stopped, you know, left to my own devices, I gained food pounds and it's like, no, you, you weight cycled. So do you want to explain what that is? Yeah. That works. Yes. Um, so weight cycling is basically how I feel like the more common way we refer to it is like yo-yo dieting. So it's like putting on weight, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off in a very like habitual, cyclical way. Um, and in the intuitive eating community, you know, we understand that weight cycling is an expected result of dieting and it's part of the reason why dieting doesn't work on a physical level. And that is because when you put weight on and take it off, that itself is actually a risk factor for many of the things that we have linked to saying that weight is a risk factor for. I know that was a little bit of like a word jumble, but basically meaning, you know, you've had this study that has shown that, okay, people who are, you know, of X BMI, they're at higher risk for cardiovascular disease, for example, as one example. But those studies don't control for the weight cycling. So if you're someone who from the beginning has lived in either a bigger body or a body that our culture deems as bigger, then it's very likely that you have been participating in dieting for a long time, putting weight on, taking it off, putting it on, taking it off. And that itself, the act of having your your weight fluctuate so much, your body, it's almost like it can't keep up with the demand. And so that is what puts your heart in a stressful situation, not the weight itself. Um, And so that's basically what weight cycling is. And I think it also highlights an important piece of why dieting doesn't work is you and I know that dieting in its like most simplified (laughs) definition is a form of like temporary starvation or restriction. So whatever that restriction is, whether it's like portions, macros, um, calories, it's, it's a way to like condense the amount of food that you're eating so that you can shrink your body. Right. And I love how you said, you know, we know we have, you and I have worked with all these people who have done these diets and like, yeah, it works. And then after that, you, you know, put the weight back on. And we know that's because that's our body's natural response. When you restrict your calories and how much nutrition you're taking in, your body is like, okay, 
So this is all I'm working with. I need to figure out how to survive on this because like from an evolution standpoint, that's been, you know, the main goal is just to figure out how to survive. So our bodies are really smart and they will adjust based on what we are consuming. But if you're on, you know, that insane 1200 calorie a day diet, maybe, maybe you can grind your way through that for however long you're on the program. But then when you stop, your body is going to be starving and it's going to be used to being on this condensed calorie state. So that is going to lend itself to putting on weight because your body wants to hold on to things to make sure that you can survive. And then that's the added element of like, oh my God, I failed. I put on the weight when really it's like, this is a physical response of restriction, not to mention all the psychological damage that comes with that. But that's why coaches like Alex and I are not surprised when people say, I couldn't do it, and then I felt completely out of control of food, and then I put all the weight back on, and I failed. Yeah, and 100% to all that. And I also just want to say that this happens even if you're not, like, anorexic, right? Because that's Absolutely. something that people say a lot. Oh my gosh. And we could go so much further into, I wish I had like a good statistic in front of me, but, um, the percentage of people that are in like a quote unquote overweight or obese BMI who have eating disorders and where the eating disorder stigma is there as well, because you have, I mean, because of the fat phobia that we have in our culture, it's people who are in bigger bodies that are going to feel that additional pressure to make their body small. And so they're going to be engaging in these behaviors. And then that's further going to damage their metabolism, furthering the weight gain. Um, so it's really just a, a really difficult cycle and, and in terms of like access to care, um, especially in the, in the spirit of like the upcoming week and the eating disorder awareness, like eating disorders amongst people who do not look like they have eating disorders. Yeah. is very high. Yeah, no, that's a really good point to bring up 100%. And so when, again, we talk about how your health is impacted, this is one of the ways, right? Is like mm. that weight cycling. So your body has always wanted to maintain homeostasis. There's this thing called set point theory, right? Where it's kind of this range where your body feels its best, where it's its healthiest, it wants to be there. And where your body is its healthiest and where it's its happiest isn't necessarily where we think our body should like let's bring the should back into it it's not where we think our body should be and that's going to depend on when you grew up and what you grew up watching you know if we're growing up watching friends as kids and i always give this example of like phoebe and rachel turning sideways and they disappear and that's what we're going for right then that's our ideal and that's our should and that's like i should look like this and even though all these other health things right weight cycling heart issues whatever is happening we're focused on how we look from the outside Oh my gosh, that Friends example is totally triggering. That it still is like my favorite show ever. But yeah, growing up with that as like one of the examples of like beauty, mm -hmm. really tough, really, really tough. Mm -hmm. I actually, I got that example from one of my clients because they were talking about that where it's like, that's what they grew up with. And so that's where they thought they should be. And it's like, they kept weight cycling and 
you know, in the process, we're not taught what that actually does to our health when we cycle. We just think that when we got bigger, that meant that we were unhealthy and then we fixed it because now we're smaller again, right? Right got bigger and we kept fixing it and we don't realize what's happening underneath. It's like we're focusing on the outside of the car and how shiny it is and how the car looks and we don't really either know or don't care about what's happening under the hood as long as the car looks Mm -hmm. pretty. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a really important point. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on a little bit more is about intuitive eating specifically, because I feel like we're talking about all this stuff that's so important, but a lot of people think that intuitive eating is just kind of this like hunger and fullness diet, right? Or going back to like our bodies can't be trusted. is just like eat what you want, when you want, right? All of that. So can you explain a little bit more for people listening about how that actually works? Like obviously it's a process, right? And it takes time, but what what does that look like? Because we know that we do care about nutrition right and it's not as simple as like no more rules like yeah yeah no more rules but like no more rules it's a free-for-all the only thing in my fridge is cake like that's not how intuitive eating works so can you explain a little more about that totally totally so I think um this is such an important point to highlight because it really is like one of the biggest misconceptions I feel like that is like publicly out there and that I run into with people that I work with um intuitive eating at the end of the day, as we have said, it's about getting back in tune with your body, what you need when you're hungry, when you're full, and then also about how food feels. And that's how you start to piece together what you need. Like, you know, if I eat a piece of cake on an empty stomach when I'm really hungry, how does that make me feel versus I have recognized that I'm hungry and I've done that experience with having a piece of cake on an empty stomach and it actually gave me a stomach ache the last time I did that. So I recognize that like I'm, you know, at a hungry level and I need something with staying power. That's kind of where the nutrition piece comes in. But before we can approach nutrition, like we talked about a little bit, nutrition, if we don't deal with our feelings around food, is going to turn into just like the next food rule. So yes, there may be a, a time in this process early in intuitive eating when it may be uncomfortable to feel like you're supposed to let yourself like have what you want. Like this was, this definitely happened to me in my personal intuitive eating experience where um, the foods that I had previously restricted, I was craving more often because kind of similar to your client who had been told like I can't have mozzarella sticks and pizza when they're very little we have this like story about that that that's a forbidden food and so when we're trying to you know participate in these intuitive eating principles like reject the diet mentality and like make peace with food um, sometimes in that learning process we may find ourselves thinking about these foods more and craving these foods more because that's a new experience to us to feel like okay I'm not restricting myself and what I would just want people to know about that is that it's expected you don't have to be afraid of it and also it's temporary because in this learning process of intuitive eating you know you will recognize what it feels like to 
be hungry and what your body needs to feel good when it's hungry. And that's going to change for a variety of reasons that we've talked about based on like what's going on in your life at that time, maybe what the season is, like many of those things. So it's not, and it's also recognizing when we are eating for emotional reasons, like there's a lot of education and intuitive eating around emotional eating, which I think gets very demonized in diet culture. Like food is fuel. You should never eat, you know, for emotional reasons. And that's just like entirely unreasonable because food is emotional. Like I, I just don't, but I understand because I have lived that narrative as well. Like, Oh my God, I just ate because I was stressed and I'm so guilty about that. And you know, intuitive eating is so amazing because it does help us eventually be able to discern when, oh, okay, like, am I eating because I'm bored? Am I eating because I'm stressed? Like, it's really like a tuning into your emotions. And it's not, it's not just at the drop of the hat, eating whatever you want, whenever you want, because if you're really tuned into yourself and your emotions, you're then able to discern what is biological hunger versus what is something else. Yeah, 100%. And I think too that going down this journey also helps you recognize other areas of your life that might need a change, right? So, for example, one of my clients finds herself eating a lot of the time out of boredom, out of stress, or out of emotion, right? And so I like to use this analogy of you get to be the detective, right? And you're just like collecting clues and then we can work together and figure out what we want to do with that information. But so as she's on this detective journey and we're figuring out, well, what's triggering this, right? What's happening here? It's like, oh, well, all of this is either related to work or it's related to her feelings around food, which are making her more stressed and feel more out of control, right? And so, so for example, that kind of led her to realize she needed to leave her job. Like, you know, that it wasn't just, we actually, she's not stress eating anymore. She's not boredom eating anymore. I'm not going to say like never, right? Like there are still times where it might happen, but it was like every day, multiple times a day. And now it's like, I had a really stressful day yesterday and this happened, but like, it's the only time it's happened during the week and being able to have that non-judgmental awareness because we're humans, right? Like things happen. Um, but in that process, you know, she's really improving her relationship with food. Every week I talk to her, she's like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing this anymore. And I'm doing this and I listen to my body and I knew when I needed this. But in the process, she realized that she needed to leave her job and it wasn't like a place where she could set a better boundary at work. It wasn't a place where she could set a better boundary with herself. Right? She, she realized that she felt like she had no other tools because in the process too, we were talking about like, what other tools do you have? What can we do? And, and so that's, I think one of the things that's really cool is your body's always telling you, it's always, always telling you what it needs. And we just don't always know how to listen. So whether it's saying, you know, you're not in the best relationship and we got to do something about that, or it's saying like, you're not in the best job right for you, for you right now. Or it's saying that, um, you know, you have a lot of things going on internally that you need to address. We don't listen or my, my favorite, it's not really a favorite, but like, People who work long hours, this was me. I used to work 80 hour weeks, right? And I work these long hours and keep telling myself, like, you can't eat until, you know, you, you got to just keep going until you're off the shift. But now that we're working at home with, with COVID, a lot of people are working at home and they're imposing that on themselves. Like, I'm hungry, but yeah, I have to finish writing this email first, or I'm hungry and I have to finish another hour of work first. So we're doing these self imposed rules 
that bring us further and further away from what we actually need. And then we're like, well, why can't I listen to my body? And so in that process of figuring this out, it opens up all these other conversations, all these other areas of how should shame is showing up in your life and how you might be people pleasing or trying to be perfect at other things or um, self-imposing burnout or lack of boundaries. Like all of this comes up, at least for me and my clients, when we're doing this food journey and it's helped people get into new jobs, to get better relationships, to set boundaries that they've been afraid to set, to really start to prioritize themselves. So it's not just about the food, it's about everything, you know? I think that for me, the biggest takeaway is that it's such a big deal to me that people are being convinced that they can't trust their bodies. Because if you feel like you can't trust your body, that also ripples out into so many areas of your life. Like just feeding yourself and keeping yourself alive is the most basic need, right? And if you feel like you can't trust your body, you can't trust yourself, that affects everything in your life. And so that's been one of the most gratifying things for me to see in working with my clients is how healing their relationship with food and their bodies makes them happier in their life, more relaxed in their life. It does improve their relationships. And, um, you know, just that why that messaging is out there and understanding, like you and I have talked about, that it's out there because somebody is profiting from it. And until we understand that, it can be very difficult to break out of this mindset because they are very good at what they do and they are very convincing. So, you know, obviously intuitive eating is very complicated and important process, which is why Alex and I both, you know, work with clients on this and have courses that specialize in this. But to me, at the end of the day, it almost feels like advocacy work because it's like, no, no, you can trust yourself. Someone else has convinced you that you're not trustworthy, but you are and your body is. And your body is smart and you can trust your body and you can trust yourself. And I mean, that kind of like relationship with yourself carries you through the rest of your life, no matter what happens. So that's why I think it's so important. And um, yeah. I think a really important point about trusting your body too, is that the relationship you have with yourself and the relationship you have with your body, that is the longest relationship you will have in your entire life. That's longer than the relationship with your significant other, with your friends and your parents, right? Because you are the one who goes to sleep in your body and wakes up in your body every single day. And I'm going to challenge people to rethink their definition of trust or like their definition of what their body should be doing, right? Let's shred some more shoulds because I'm just thinking as you're talking, I'm thinking to my clients and when they've told me they feel like they can't trust their body. And it's usually when they either don't know how to listen to their body signals or their body has changed and not knowing how to listen really comes from it's not that you don't know how it's that you've chosen not to over the years your body has has said here's what I need and you've said no be better be stronger right be more disciplined I'm not going to listen your body says I need a rest day and you say no you need to go to the gym or your body says I need more food and you say no you've eaten enough for today right which is all based on societal things that we've learned 
that's one, um, you know, or even just like, again, going back to the work example, when you're allowing yourself to eat, how far before bed, if you're hungry, but you're like, no, it's too close to bed, I can't eat. And then you're awake all night. And these are all examples of when your body says, hey, hi, help, need you. And you're like, nope, I know better. And the other one is when your body changes. And and this came up with a client who recently had COVID. It's actually coming up with a couple clients who recently had COVID. But one in particular, I want to talk about where she was really upset because her body had changed. She'd put on a little bit of body fat while, you know, recovering from COVID for like a month, right? And she was really upset and she felt like her body had let her down because during this time it had changed. And I was kind of like, hi, can we just stop and take a second and acknowledge how much your body just has done for you over the last month? How your body looks is always the least important thing about you. But when you have COVID and you are this sick, it's really like your body does not care how it looks. It cares about keeping you alive. It cares about helping you recover. It cares about making sure that your heart is functioning properly, that your nervous system is functioning properly, that everything is functioning, right? And in COVID or not, your body is dealing with so much every single day. Like, you know, how many functions it has to go through just to allow you to live the life that you have and be able to do the things that you love. And if you're not addressing other things in your life, like your stress levels, right? Like your relationships, like how you feel about yourself and how all of that is impacting your body. You know, we talked about this at the beginning, what's sending your body into fight or flight. You know, if you're thinking my body has changed, it's my fault, it's my relationship with food, it's it's whatever, and you're not addressing, well, actually, it's because I'm super stressed out and I'm overworking all the time, I'm not sleeping enough, I've got all this other stuff going on. If you're not addressing that, like, again, like, it's not about your body, you don't realize how much it's actually doing to help you get through all of that. It doesn't care what it looks like. It cares about keeping you alive and happy and healthy and like, do you ever say thank you, right? How often do you do that? Or do you just tell it that you can't trust it and this is the worst relationship ever and like, why don't you just listen, right? Because we do, we have these like really toxic relationships with our ourselves and our bodies and we don't even realize that. Yeah, I always come back to like, how long have you been at war with your body? And like, mm-hmm. aren't you, are you, aren't you tired? Like, are you done? Because I was done. <laughs> took a long time but eventually I was done and my god I am just so much happier and um for my new definition of health I'm so much healthier than I ever was yeah me too 100% yeah awesome well I love this thank you so much for being on here and where can people find you I know you're in the middle of your group course right now but if you want to tell people what that is and you know if you know yet when you're doing it again Mm mm-hmm yeah, it's been such a pleasure. I love um, doing this with you. So on Instagram, you can find me. It's just my first name, um, Katie, and then underscore my married name, which still feels very strange to me, Sunderland. Um, and yes, like Alex said, I'm in the middle of the third round of my group coaching course for women called the Food Group Reset, which is um, an intuitive eating intensive. And because it's specifically for women, also has some like women's health and hormonal health, um, stress management female specific, um, information in there. Um, so that program will be running again, um, in mid May and I do already have a wait list, which is awesome. And I'm super excited to run it again. I just obviously I'm biased. Of course it's mine, but I love it. And I've seen it help, um, so many women heal their relationship with food. So 
Love that. And I will link your Instagram in the description for this episode so people can just like click and find you. And for anybody listening, because this is coming out on Monday, my program, Mind Body Breakthrough, is launching again. This is round four, maybe five, depends how you want to look at it. But it's launching again March 6th. And it's a very, very similar program. I love the fact that you talk about women specific things and hormonal health in yours. I do too, because I think that, you know, along with everything else we've talked about, this is not education that we're given in school. It's not education that we are given really ever and that we both wish we had. So mine's virtually the same thing, helping people improve their relationships with food, understanding all of this stuff, gut health, hormonal health, stress. We go deep into boundaries and mindset and mental health and body image. So many classes on body image and I'm really excited to be running it again too, because honestly, I would love to see this as like part of your program, my program, anything as part of a school curriculum, because I think that it's so, so crucial. And, you know, I've had women who've gone through mine, I'm sure who have gone through yours, who have said, this has changed how I've parented my kids. And there's nothing more than I can ask for than that, right? Creating intergenerational change. Yeah, that's so beautiful and so important. Yeah. So if anybody has any questions for us, they want to learn more about intuitive eating, you can follow us on Instagram, slide into our DMs, ask us questions, check out our programs. And I'm excited because we are just creating so much change in the world. And thank you so much for being here and for everything that you do. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for having me. We'll see you next time.